be still. Um, I work a lot with kids, and that seems to be a phrase that some kids you have to use more than others, you know, like, can you be still for a minute? Can you just be still for a minute? And um, this might surprise you or not that I wasn't one of those kids. So I was pretty good at sitting still. I was really good at sitting still through, you know, class or at church. Um, no matter how long the service went, I could sit still. Um, I could sit still and read books for long periods of time. Um, so I was good at that. That wasn't an issue for me. What I wasn't good at and have um, still struggle with is stilling my mind, quieting the thoughts inside my mind. I would always describe myself as somebody who is in my head quite a bit. Um, even at a young age, I remember um, at a young age figuring out that at any given moment I could think about and often did the possible things that could go wrong in any moment. And then um, thinking about the possibilities of how I would fix that. And um, so um, I wasn't told to be still, but my dad did... Um, come up with this phrase for something that he he realized that I needed. Um, and I, I imagine that it wasn't because I was just panicking inside my head. I think I probably talked about all the things I was worried about. Uh, so my dad started telling me, Wendy, stay calm and try to adjust. So that was what my dad would say. He didn't say it to my brother or my sister, but Wendy... Stay calm and try to adjust, which is very similar to the British saying um, during World War II, there were posters all around as they were being bombed daily and, and afraid that they were going to be invaded. You know, the British just stay calm and carry on, right? Just stay calm, you're being bombed. Just stay calm and carry on. That was kind of my dad's like, you know, thing was stay calm and try to adjust. It's kind of the polite way of like, stop freaking out. Stop freaking out, right? So um, he used this phrase so much to me as a child that my friends kind of picked up on it. So even today, um, many years later, uh, I will have a few friends that every once in a while will just text me with a sign that says stay calm or like stay calm and try to adjust, you know. Um, and so it doesn't take too long in my family for, to realize that maybe I look calm on the outside, but inside I'm really struggling. I'm struggling to sit still in my mind and in my soul. So that, um, that phrase, be still and know that I'm God, it comes from Psalm 46.10. And that word, that Hebrew word that is translated as be still, is the same Hebrew word that is translated in other places in the Old Testament, all other places in the Old Testament, as stop. So during this series, Start by Stopping, we are looking at the importance of these spiritual practices that help us to stop so that we can better connect to God as our loving Father. And it really, these practices aren't really about um, being able to do more or about being a, you know, if I do this, then I'll be a better person. These practices are really about allowing to be with God and to love, to receive his love for us, for who we are right now. And so last week, Alberto talked about fasting or the voluntary denial of something for a specific time for a spiritual reason. And it's a practice that we see Jesus even engage in. In his case, he gave up food um, to deeply connect to God. And today we're going to look at another spiritual um, practice, and that is the practice of stillness, 
or stopping our mind and staying calm even when we are bombarded by issues and concerns and news and people's needs for us throughout the day. And so these various practices that have been done for, really for centuries by followers of Jesus um, to slow down and to connect with God are often referred to as the practices of contemplation. Um, they, uh, many of them started in the third century um, by early Christians who are known as desert fathers and desert mothers. Um, they started these practices of solitude and silence in order to connect to Jesus. They found that it was through these practices that it helped them connect to Jesus and to really try to love others the way Jesus did, and that doing these acts of contemplation helped them to do that. And so today we kind of refer to them as contemplation, but originally in the third century, the translation of what um, they called it was really the prayer of quiet, the prayer of quiet. So one desert mother, she said this. She said, there are many who live in the mountains and behave as if they were in town, and they are wasting their time. So this idea of going out and retreating into the mountains and yet living the same as you do in town. She said, it's possible to be quiet in one's mind while living in a crowd, and it's possible for one who is alone to live in the crowd of his own thoughts. And I think for all of us, we will say we live in New York City. We are very much living in a crowd. And the question is, is it possible for us to live in this crowd and to quiet the noise and to truly be present with God? So I would like to um, look at a story this morning that we find in three of the Gospels. The Gospels are the books. There are four of them, the books in the New Testament that tell us about Jesus's life. We find this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Mark's account of this story um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, and um, his recalling of this story. So Mark chapter 4, um, beginning in Verse 35, so this is coming at the end of a day, um, a very busy day for Jesus. He, it's in the beginning of his ministry. He spent a, a long time um, preaching to crowds, healing people, and even it comes after a kind of a, a conflict with Jewish leaders. So he's, he's tired. It's at the end of the day. So verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He's talking about the, going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a pretty big body of water. It would take, at this time, about two hours on a good day to cross the sea. And so, uh, verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall or a furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped or sunk. And Jesus was in the stern, and he was sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I can kind of understand um, Jesus' friends' frustration here, right? Their lives are in danger, and Jesus, you're just sitting there sleeping, right? That's frustrating. Um, I can remember... A time in my life during the baby years, you know, I have some older kids now, but um, 
He knows what's coming. Uh, the baby years where um, a baby would be upset. I'd bring it into the room. She'd be having a complete meltdown, and Larry could just sleep through it. <laughs> what a blessing um, for him. And I will say... I will say that he passed that um, on to my youngest daughter, who can, can sleep with an alarm going off right next to her for a good half an hour, for sure. Um, even like a month ago, our Christmas tree fell over in the middle of the night. Larry and Clara slept through it. Um, but I think it's more than just Jesus' sleep habits here that, that makes this story really important. I think what is happening here is that Jesus is just operating on a different level of reaction in his life um, that these men really can't understand because they're worried about their lives and probably for very good reason, they are fishermen. So it isn't like it's the first time they've been on a boat. They know what's happening and they're scared. And so Jesus, they're kind of like, Jesus, wake up and do something for us. Um, things are scary, and so we have to react, right? And I think we can all relate to maybe that feeling, even though we maybe don't get on a boat regularly in our lives. Still, I kind of feel like life here in New York City often feels a lot like living through a big storm. There's so much commotion around us. It's busy. There's kind of some darkness that surrounds us at all times. It's expensive. It's hard. And as someone who has lived as an adult outside of New York City for a a long time and now here um, for almost 10 years, I can see such a difference. And it's really hard for me to explain that to somebody who's lived outside of New York City. It's really hard to explain what that difference is. But I know you guys get it, right? You know what that is. Maybe some of it is the money concerns that are constant. Will I be able to afford this apartment next year? Will I be able to keep my job? Um, For those of us with kids, there's always the concern where will my kids go to school? You have to worry about preschool and then elementary school and then middle school and then high school. It's just like this constant worry about where will my kids go to school next year? There's these long commutes that so many of you take where you really have no idea what will happen um, during the course of that commute, Um, the very long work hours. And I feel like we're all so packed together, people around us all the time, and yet we can still feel very alone, feel like we're going through this storm by ourselves. I think... Um, For many of us, you might feel like you're just reacting to one crisis in your life after another. So how in the world can we be quiet and be calm and still in the midst of all these storms that surround us? And sometimes it even feels a little bit maybe like Jesus is sleeping or he isn't paying attention to the things that are scary in our lives. And we feel a little bit like Jesus' friends saying, "Um, can you react a little bit? Can you... Can you get up and pay attention to what danger is in my life? So in verse 39, this is what Jesus, how he reacts. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Be still. Be quiet. Be calm. Jesus tells the storm around him to calm down, 
But it doesn't take the storm to calm down before Jesus is calm inside himself, calm inside his mind and his spirit. And I think what his friends wanted a little bit was for him to get up and kind of be upset with them, to panic a little bit, that they wouldn't be alone in their fear and their panic. Why aren't you afraid? Yet Jesus is able to be at peace even before the storm is calm. And the question is, are, is that possible for us too? Is it possible for us to be calm before the storm calms down? The question is, the true threat, perhaps not the storm outside and around us, but is the bigger threat the storm inside of us? This past week, I, I read a quote by Richard Rohr, who um, teaches a great deal about the practices of contemplation. And he says this about contemplation. He says, the opposite of contemplation is not action. It is reaction. So contemplation, these practices of being still and silent, many would just look at it and say, it's doing nothing. But then the opposite of that would be action. But he said, no, it's reaction. So what's the difference between action and reaction? Well, I googled that. <laughs> and I found out that action is something done to accomplish a purpose. So you're taking an action to accomplish a purpose. But reaction is just an action that is, take, that is taken in response to something else. And so if you think through Jesus' life, and as you read through the stories of Jesus' life, you can notice that Jesus is not reactive. He takes a lot of action, and he takes a lot of silence and solitude, but he, do, he is not reactive. And it gets him into a lot of trouble, because people want him to react, and people will want you to react in life. But Jesus, if you remember the story uh, a couple weeks ago that Larry looked at um, with Jesus and Mary and Martha, uh, Martha's upset, and she wants Jesus to react to her being upset. And she's like, Jesus, aren't you going to do something about Mary? And he doesn't do what she wants him to do because he knows he's there for a purpose. He isn't there to react to what, is, um, what her opinions are, what her frustrations are. He knows why he is there, and so he isn't reactive. There's a time where Jesus um, is teaching, and his mother shows up, and his family, and they're not happy with what he's doing, and they want him to stop. And even though it's his mother, he doesn't react. He keeps to his purpose. He knows what he is there to do. And so many times we see Jesus' friends not understanding what he's doing, asking him to react. We don't have enough um, food to feed these people. You know, there's times where they are arguing about things and he doesn't react to that. He teaches them instead what he's there to do. And there's so many times where the Jewish leaders, they don't get what he's doing. And so they're combative, right? They try to threaten him even at times, and he doesn't react to it. He knows his purpose, and he knows who that purpose comes from. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 40 says that Jesus said to his disciples after he calms the storm, he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Is it possible for us to be calm 
inside of ourselves, even when the storms around us are not calm. And so I was thinking about um, how faith has worked in my life and how I've looked at other people at different times of crisis um, and seeing them just kind of have a calmness about them that can only come from faith. And um, one that came to mind was uh, when we were um, new parents um, and uh, Larry left his job at a church, our first ministry, and it was it was kind of a painful time. And um, so he, he was in between jobs, and we were pleasantly surprised that we were going to have a third daughter. Um, but uh, what a blessing she has always been. But um, but it was a little bit of a surprise. We didn't have insurance because we didn't have the job. So I was panicking, and I was like, Larry. You just need a job, any job, pay the bills. You know, I was just like panicking, really. And, I, and, I, and Larry was not. And he was kind of like, just like, I know God has the next thing for me, the next job. He has a purpose for this. And he was very careful about who he was talking to and what jobs he was looking at. And I was very frustrated about that. Um, and um, But he heard about a, a job um, a friend of his knew about this company that um, was recruiting uh, executives. It was a recruiting company. And it was owned by this um, Christian man that this friend knew and said, you, you should just talk to him. And they were looking for some help. I think at that point it was just data entry, um, which was way under Larry's skill set. He was overqualified for the job. But he decided he was going to just go and talk with them. And he kind of came home, I remember, and was like, these people are amazing. I want to work with them. I'm going to do this job and then just prove to them that they want me to do other things for them, which is what happened. Um, he ended up doing, being in charge of all of their finances um, after a few years. And at that point, I just wanted him to get a job. But what happened is God had a better purpose in mind. And what I, I didn't expect for him to do is to provide a mentor for Larry, which he really needed at the time, really almost a father figure. Um, and this man who just took Larry under his wing and was so patient, um, he still 15 years later talks to this man every week. And um, just such a blessing. The family is like family to us. And also he learned these skills that he still uses today. He learned listening, I think, from that company. He learned um, about what he was good at and how to look at other people and help them figure out what they're good at as well. He learned how to negotiate salaries and interview, which, you know, hasn't just helped him, has helped other people um, learning those skills as well. And so I was running around panicking, saying, I, we just need a job. Fix the problem, right? React, go get a job. And Larry had this faith that said, God has a purpose and a plan, and it was so, so true. So a few years after that, a very good friend of mine, her husband lost his job, and she did the exact same thing. She panicked, and she was a little bit angry. She was a little angry at God, I think, that how could this happen? It was really the first time in her life that she had to worry about money, and, it, and she wasn't happy about it. And um, I watched, he went without a job for about a year, and um, I watched how her faith grew 
through that time where God just provided for them every step of the way in just some really creative ways that you could only say that came from God. And so her faith really grew, and by the end, she could look back and say, I learned so much, and I'm really thankful for what I learned during that time. And a few years after that, uh, she got some really bad news that she um, had terminal cancer. And I watched the difference of how she received both of those news. She panicked when her husband lost his job. And there was, she was afraid. She was um, a little bit angry, but not, not like before. There was a peace about her, a faith that she knew that it was going to be okay. And it was something that you can only, that only comes from faith. And it was um, interesting that she would talk about going to chemo and, and um, helping and encouraging people who had better diagnosis than she did. But she was able to be at peace in a way that allowed her to actually be there for other people. And I, I believe that that kind of peace comes through faith comes from living through these storms. Can we be calm on the inside when the storms outside of us are surrounding us? Be still and know that I am God. I love this quote that I read this week from Episcopal priest Michael Marsh. He says, faith does not change the storm. It changes us. Faith does not take us around the storm, but faith allows us to be still and to be peaceful in the midst of the storm. And I've confessed that uh, that inner stillness has always been a struggle for me. And although at a very young age, my, my parents, um, you know, brought me to church and in the home, I learned about believing in God. Still, I really didn't, was not given the skills to help me quiet those thoughts and those worries inside of me. When my dad said, stay calm and try to adjust, I had no idea how to do that. Um, and it really hasn't been until the last seven years, being introduced to contemplative practices, that I've been able to start to quiet and to calm my inner being. Before, I certainly prayed. I read and memorized scripture, and that certainly did help me. But it didn't really stop my mind from racing. And it's really been in these practices of silence and being aware of my breath and just being aware of God's presence and listening for God's voice that I've been able, even at scary times, to calm myself on the inside. And I, I will um, confess that sometimes when I do that, I do not hear God's voice. And sometimes I don't feel in that moment like I understand what God is doing. But I still know that he knows me, and he loves me, and he is with me. So a few weeks ago, um, my family got some bad news that meant some financial stress for us. And I kind of went to that old habit of quickly, like, freaking out inside, right? And I started panic, and so I grabbed my phone... And I texted my parents and my siblings, and I was like, to pray for us, right? Which isn't a bad thing to do when you're panicking. You know, if you need somebody to pray for you, that's a good, 
good place to start. But I was definitely doing it out of panic. And so as I was holding the phone, um, writing the text, I just got this sense of peace over me and just was reminded of all those times that God has provided for me in the past where things happened and I thought this is going to be bad. And quickly we saw how God kind of overcame it. And so as, as I texted them, I said, okay, this is what's happening, and I'm frustrated, um, but I know that God is going to take care of us. He always hasn't before. I know he's going to do it again. Can you ask that he does it quickly? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he did it. I am a little bit surprised how quickly it happened. And I will say it took a lot of annoying emails on Larry's part and a lot of headaches. Um, but God has came through in like two weeks time of like just clearly um, taking care of us and, and through that taking care of somebody else, um, which is how God works. And so I just want to read through that passage again, and I'm hoping that whatever storm you're going through, that this passage might feel fresh and new to you. So we have a slide of kind of um, somebody's painting of this scene. I like that it's in the evening. Um, but as I, I read the story, I hope that it's fresh and it, um, it comforts you. So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him, and a furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly sunk. Jesus was in the stern, and he was sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And verse 41 says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And I wonder how Jesus' friends' faith grew that day. After seeing what Jesus could do, maybe the next crisis they had a little more faith, a little more trust. And I wonder, as they shared life with Jesus, did they take on his calmness his inner peace. I've noticed something over the last several years as I've kind of started to do these contemplative practices. I've noticed something about um, the leaders um, who teach this. So I, I've watched them teach it and um, speak about it, read about it, and I've noticed something that just even about their being, that there's a sense of calmness, right? a sense of openness that they have, of joy. And as they get older, actually, they get more joyful, more at peace, um, calmer. And I've watched some other leaders in the church over the years, and frankly, that doesn't always happen. Maybe you know some, too, that as they get older, they actually get a little more bitter, 
a little more judgmental, a little more extreme in their views as they age. And I'm not going to say that contemplative practices are a guarantee, but I really do that believe there's something to them that help us to love more like Jesus. And that, I want to be more like that. And that's why we so often incorporate these practices into our teaching. Things like Lectio Divina, where we go through a scripture and just let you silently kind of read through that scripture and hear for yourself from God. Um, times of silence. St. Ignatian spiritual practices of the examine or of discernment. The centering prayers. Because we don't want you to just experience them on Sundays. We want you to use them throughout your week as well. And when you hit these times of crisis in your life, that you can go back to them and really work to center yourself and just be in God's presence. And so as we close today, I'd like us to do that be still centering prayer again. And I also want to encourage you to try to do this prayer on your own each day this week. I've made handouts for you that are on the communion table um, for you to just take time to remind yourself to be still with God. And maybe throughout the week, those times of silence will lengthen a little bit. Um, But I pray that you just um, can work to be silent, to be still before God. So let's um, calm ourselves center ourselves, take a deep breath, be present, be still, and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still.
ีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจสัสดีเจ